Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Earlier this week, free market economics lost one of its greatest evangelists, George Mason University professor, occasional Rush Limbaugh program substitute host, book author, syndicated columnist, and Capital Research Center advisory board member, Dr. Walter Williams. Joining us to reflect on Williams' life and legacy is one of his colleagues, Mercatus Center scholar and columnist, Veronique Deruji. I will begin with a quote from the elegiac column written by Williams' longtime friend, Thomas Sowell. Walter once said that he hoped that on the day that he died, he would have taught a class that day, and that is just the way it was when he died on Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020. Uh, Veronique, for those of us who didn't have the pleasure of knowing Dr. Williams personally, could you offer some reflection? Um, hi. He, it's, it's, I feel sorry for everyone who never actually met Walter. I mean, the guy was literally unique. And in fact, I believe in that column, which is really a heart-wrenching column that, where you quoted uh, Thomas Sowell, he also says that he has never heard anyone, anyone says, well, this guy is just like Walter William, because there was no just like Walter Williams. Um, Walter was this tall, dominant, like, you know, black man. He always had a smile on his face. And then he would like, you know, he would just say really kind of harsh truth. But he always had this light in his eyes. He had this way of the... Um, I was I was talking with one of my friend um, Nancy who was a student of his, and and I, I said, do you remember how he used to like stand there tall with his hands in his front pocket and kind of his back curved a little while he was laughing? I mean, it was just kind of he was unique, and he was just a happy warrior. He was uncompromising. He seemed to be scared of nothing like literally nothing. He was a radical, like utterly radical. He was a troublemaker as a youth and, and who basically got disciplined by two things. His wife, who he was married <laughs> to for over 50 years and, uh, and, and learning economics. Well, I, certainly regarding uh, being disciplined by his wife, he will, he will not be the last man to about about uh, about which that can be said. Um, you know, he would always talk of her as Mrs. Williams. He would like he would mention her like all the time, and but he would always say, and, and apparently I've actually never seen them together, but apparently he would do that even when they were together. Hmm. Um. I mean, you mentioned uh, his his sort of his 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 early radical background in learning learning economics. There there were a number of guys of 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 scholars of his age who, I mean, Sol was one who started as radicals. Uh, I mean, even Friedman started in the New Deal. Mil Milton Friedman started in the New Deal, uh, and then of course became these great advocates of classical liberalism, libertarianism, the free market, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, kind of where does he fit in that, you know, you know, fit with those, um, with the people like Sol, with Friedman, with some of the other, some of the other names that have come out of George Mason? So he was a very, like they were, he was a very, very actually robust 
and solid, serious academics. And I think he's um, closer in style uh, to Friedman than to Saul, even though Thomas Saul and him are often like put together in a package. But there's a really beautiful remembrance by David Bose at the Cato Institute that that makes this point to say that you know Saul is was was just is very withdrawn while Walter was like public facing like Milton Friedman. Yeah, as Fried, Friedman, of course, you know he did the the Free to Choose documentary series, yes. and then Williams was. Uh, I mean, I, again, I read that he he would uh, guest host Rush Limbaugh, uh, yeah, yeah. which is so that, very, I, very popular. You know, even even if he was a, a serious scholar in his academic life, that's a, a, a the popular advocacy for uh, for uh, free market values, which oftentimes are not effectively argued. But he, in, he in the was public. he was a really great communicator. The way he would always kind of explain like complicated facts about economics, oh, counterintuitive, because actually economics is not complicated. It's counterintuitive. Like he would give you, he would give you analogies like, like his, his example about the minimum wage and, and, and his analogy was like, you know, that the minimum wage effectively lowers the cost of discriminating against uh, a chalk steak and, and and to for you to buy filet mignon. Well, right. I mean, you know? he, I mean, he famous he famously back when it was back in the uh, late nineteen eighties, early nineteen nineties, as uh, apartheid was beginning to be repealed in South Africa, wrote about how the labor yeah. legislation in by the apartheid regime in South Africa was a government was not capitalism was not yes. the free market but was the government saying no we are obligating you under law to discriminate or else so yeah so that was a uh, that was a um um uh, uh, some work that very serious work that was published at the Cato institute if i remember correctly where in fact he really goes into great details and data even even actually went to uh, to uh, south africa Again, if I remember correctly, it's been a while um, since I read this, um, where to study the system, and he said, he said, this is nonsense. This is nothing to do with capitalism. Uh, this is this is government uh, government discrimination. It's this it's is state, state oppression of the worst sort. Yeah, state oppression, and uh, and in fact, you know, he he was uh, he was uh, interesting. I mean, in, in that very early on, you know, he was very, very, very uh, uh, strong in his position to uh, be in favor of private discrimination and, and, and but so anti-state uh, discrimination, rightfully so. I mean, these are, this is the, the right position to have. And, and, he, and he personally actually experienced the, uh, the 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 state discrimination, but he also kind of it's interesting to read his uh, his autobiography because he actually um, he explained that while there was all the discrimination, like the kind of the plain and simple discrimination against black, even though it wasn't when he was growing up in Philadelphia, he wasn't experiencing it as blacks in the South would experience it. With, with actually like segregated sections and things like this, mm -hmm. uh, 
he was lucky because when he was 13 and he started working, while they, it was the beginning of the minimum wage, he actually, the minimum wage wasn't as, as high as it is right now. He didn't, it didn't create all the disincentive and the punishment to, to work hard that the minimum wage creates right now. And mm -hmm. so it's a really great book to read because it's a good perspective on him. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's really worth, worth reading where he talks about like the different types of state discrimination, mm -hmm. right? There's, there's, and he's against them all. Obviously. Sure. Um, so I mean, I guess building off that, what do you, if, if you could give maybe like, if you had in like three, three or four or as many as you like, it's sort of essential works, uh, either to understand him or to understand his approach to economics? Do, would you have any recommendations other yeah, than his autobiography? His, auto, his autobiography uh, is called Growing Up in the Project or Up from the Project. Mm -hmm. um, and then his 82 books, uh, State Against Blacks. I mean, mm -hmm. that is a really um, data-rich, uh, you know, like really great case about how government rules have really discriminated against against black and um, that's these are I mean the South Africa book is is great but I would also say you know he watched the um, there was a PBS um, uh, program free to choose where he was the where he he was on it's it's easy you can find it on mm -hmm. online. Uh, it's really worth watching and there's a great interview uh, of him by several actually by uh, Nick Gillespie at Reason. Mm -hmm. I, I think just Google his name and video and you will see so many great video and then you will get a sense about the man. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, he was really, uh, he was funny and he was just, you know, he was just a kind of a unique character and I'm, I'm kind of you know, I'm sad because it's kind of uh, like they won't be, I'm afraid they won't be another Walter William that has this whole package, um, mm -hmm. really. I mean, but it's, yeah, it's it's a really sad day. And when, when you think he was 84 and literally he, what happened, what it seems happened. So he was a GMU on the campus. He taped his last class or taught his last class. I don't know whether he, it was live or taped. And he walked out the building, sat in his car, and died. And, you know, I mean, this is exactly according to Thomas Saul, Thomas Saul yeah. how he wanted to die. And I, I mean, it's it, it, with the, given the sad state of human affairs that we all must go, there are, there are certainly a lot worse ways to go than to be on top, to be on top of your game and then 30 minutes later ashes to ashes yeah but this is how he wanted to go and it's just a really a statement about his life that until the last really minute of his life literally he was he was teaching he was educating i mean he i mean it's hard i think it's hard to overstate the i mean how many people he's impacted but how many students brain he has formed I mean, I think you can, you know, 
obviously it's only a small portion, but the sheer number of tributes that have come in to him in the last three or four days, you know, in the last three days since his passing, you know, if, if, you, if you have a lot of people remembering you and telling their stories about you and again if you would have if you have any other anecdotes or stories you would like to share please please do i i you know it's funny because obviously we all have one side of walter that we know one experience so i moved to the u.s um in 1999 i was at gmu to finish my phd and and so that's how i met walter i mean i knew of him from before, obviously, you cannot be a libertarian and not know of Walter, even though it's worth saying that Walter was kind of like saying he doesn't think he belongs to that. He was so hardcore that he didn't even want to be like, uh, you're constrained by a label. Uh, yeah, how did, you know, you know li and, libertarians and, not, anyway, not wishing to associate in groups. I... So for <laughs> me, it was like my relationship with him was, um, so it was, I, I sat, I sat in some of his classes, but never has as his students. I'm kind of glad because I heard he was like a super, super, super top grader, <laughs> um, even though he, his students loved him. But he um, he would always, always kind of like it was. He would always joke about the fact that it's just it was just so baffling that it could be such a radical coming from France. And that just like tickled him. And, but he was also, you know, he never, ever, I mean, it didn't matter when I was a student, I, I, had, I couldn't barely speak English. I mean, I could speak English, but, you know, or when mm -hmm. I was, you know, a scholar, we were on a panel not too long ago. Um, there was, we were talking to donors, so it's not a public thing. Mm -hmm. And we were together and he never, Ever. It made no difference to me that I was when I was a student, but he never he was not condescending whatsoever to anyone. And it was just like it was great. And, you know, and they're just like you talk to him and in the back of your mind, you had this little sentence, this little phrase going on saying, wow, I'm talking to Walter Williams. <laughs> but I, I recommend also, um, you know, uh, Alex Tabarrok at, at Mercatus at GMU mm. um, uh, has has a um, he has a, a, a he did a blog post remembering Walter and he 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 has a, a paragraph in there that is just remarkable if I can if I can uh, read from it and it's basically like stuff that you will read in his autobiography. Uh, it's worth noting that. He, uh, Walter would, uh, was, uh, he, he related more to Malcolm X than to Martin Luther King, right? He mm. thought Luther King and, you know, that was all right and fine, but he was like, literally was that type of rebel, rebel. And so in Alex writes, he was arrested for disorderly conduct several times and drafted into the military. He was later court-martialed but acting as his own attorney, he wins his case. He's sent to Korea, and, and when asked to fill in a form stating his race, he writes, Caucasian, because the Negroes got all the worst job. He tells his commanding officers that he has pledged to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that he, 
the commanding officer is a domestic <laughs> enemy of the Constitution. <laughs> he wrote to, to uh, JFK later, and, and he got an uh, honorable discharge. I mean, the man was like, I mean, it's just like, it's, I mean, I didn't know this because I actually, I had, I had watched the video, the interview, several interviews of, of when his book, his autobiography came out. But I have to confess, I, I haven't read it. I've read a lot about it. And mm -hmm. but I am just I'm going to receive it uh, like probably today, actually. <laughs> and I, I just cannot wait to read this because and so it just and, and anyway, it's it's I mean, he was just a remarkable. Mm -hmm. sounds, remarkable. sounds like a sounds like a heck of a story about a heck of a man. Yeah. Well, so. uh, Veronique DeRuji, thank you for joining us. Uh, that's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.